Let's praise our Father in heaven this morning. Here we go. Sing praise to my King. It's a freestyle thing. Praise to my King, and I thank you for my being. Praise to my King. Creation sing. Creation sing. All creation sing. Praise to my King. It's a freestyle thing. Give praise to my King, and I thank you for my being. Praise to my King. Creation sing. Creation sing. Creation sing. Yo, there's a spirit. There's a spirit in the air. This morning, we can feel it taking over. Something in our hearts wants to reach out for you. I wanna sing praise and adore Him. He is our praise. Kindness it is, huh? Cool breeze blowing so gentle against raindrops on leaves and morning mist that falls to ground as earth shifts, causing life from it to surface. From dirt to my purpose to live, breathe, glorify Amen. It's great to be together this morning on you day. Let's say a prayer as we continue. Mighty God, thank you so much that we can be together this morning in the fellowship. And even greater than that, Father, you are with us in our hearts. You are uh, dwelling within us, that we are your temple, Father. And collectively, even so much more, Father, we pray that we would discover you this morning in our fellowship, in your word, as it's spoken, and in the songs as we lift them up to you, Father. Bless this morning. Send healing into our hearts, into our lives. 
And we lift you up, Father, in this, these songs and this service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We'd like all the women in the, in the house this morning to sing with us. Sister Sin. Yeah. 
Sing it again. in this life, in our, in our lives, around the world, this next song describes that absolutely one thing remains, that God's love, it never fails us. He never runs out. He never gives up on us. One thing remains, God's love. Because your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Higher. And it's higher. And it's higher than the mountains that I face. It's stronger than the power.
Please be seated. Just a few minutes ago, we sing a, sang a song telling God that we trust him as God Almighty. And uh, you know, it's easy to do that when things are going well. It's not so easy when things are not going well. And uh, I received a phone call this morning that was absolutely devastating. Uh, and you've got to dig deep to trust in God. Uh, a lot of you know that we support financially the Middle East, and uh, God has done a great work there, and uh, also the Inland Empire, along with us, do the primary support. And presently, Mike Rock is in Beirut, and they have been holding a conference there for the leaders, uh, of the whole Middle East. And uh, earlier this morning, they were coming down the mountain from the retreat to go to worship uh, in a rainstorm. And uh, Maher Hin, who uh, is the lead evangelist for the Middle East, and his wife, Summer, and Sammy, that a lot of you have prayed for in the past because he was the evangelist that, printed, uh, that uh, planted the church in Baghdad and was in prison for a long time. And his wife, Fadia, were in the car. And the car in the rain ran off the road, and Maher was killed instantly. Uh, the other three were injured, 
We're thankful that uh, no one else was in the car because Mike Rock had intended to be in the car, but he, he needed to talk to someone else and went back on the bus. But uh, Maher was killed instantly. The other three are seriously injured, not life-threatening, but they're in surgery right now. And none of those three at this time even know that Maher's killed. Uh, Maher is a fairly young man. I've known him for 25 years as a, when he was a college student. Seen him grow up into a powerful, powerful evangelist that God has used him. And uh, we just need to pray for, obviously, Maher, for the family. We know that Maher is with God, fiery evangelist. But this is one of those times that I, I personally just have to dig so deep and trust God to say, God, I know you've got a better plan. It doesn't look, I don't know how it's all going to work out. Um, but we just need to pray. And uh, would you go with me in prayer at this time? I'm going to have us pray silently for a minute or two, and then I'll close it in prayer. Father God, we acknowledge you as our Lord, as our creator, as our master. And we acknowledge that you are much wiser than we are. At times like this, we just don't understand. It doesn't really make sense why you would call a person who's been so key in the evangelization of the Middle East home. Someone who has a young family only 45 years old. And Father, I pray that you will be with Summer as his wife, be with his family as they hear the news. Give them the faith that they need. Surround them with the people, with the words that they need. And Father, I pray that more than ever you will put the Middle East on our heart, that it's such a crucial part of the world that so much needs to know about you and Jesus. Father, we love you and we promise to serve you with all of our hearts. I pray that even this will be an upward call for all of us. And we just give this all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hello, um, I'm Jordana. I'm in the campus ministry, and I go to Pepperdine, AOS. Um, and I have an announcement that's kind of bittersweet. Um, this right here is Kate White, and she's been a crucial part of our ministry in the campus. And she has a great opportunity to study abroad in London, England, with Pepperdine University's study abroad program, and join other disciples um, that are there. 
So I just wanted to say, Kate, um, you are one of the sweetest people I've ever met. You exude the woman of a gentle and quiet spirit, but yet are strong through different um, family issues you've had and um, studying and being stressed out. Like, you're never stressed. Um, and so I just really love you so much, and I'm really excited for you, yet very sad that my last semester at Pepperdine, you won't be there. But I'm super excited, and I just want to say, everybody, please give her love. Um, even if you don't know her, just give her a hug since it's her last service here, and she'll be back um, next fall. I think it goes without saying, uh, most of you here know the couple that just walked out with Jacqueline and I, Paul and Charlene. <laughs> I have a scripture that uh, I'd like to share that I think really sums up in a great way who they are, what they represent before God in the Westside Church. And that's in West Th 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you, but hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work, live in peace with each other. We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. And I think for us, when it comes to our kids' kingdom and the work that these two have been involved with, I know I'm incredibly encouraged as to what that represents through the years. It's represented for my kids with the degree of love and encouragement and time and effort that goes into making our kids' kingdom Sunday mornings something that are phenomenal for our kids and help our kids to develop a heart and love and intimacy with God, which really sets the stage in a lot of ways and helps us as parents usher our kids into the kingdom. So before, um, I've got a couple little gifts for them we'll get into in a minute here, but I wanted to give the opportunity for my wife to share a few thoughts as well. Yes, I think there are a few ministries that, um, I don't know, get uh, are lesser uh, acknowledged and more work than a lot of the other ministries and um, we just appreciate I think you guys were our first dinner here and it was very yummy so if you ever get the chance but um, you know but our hearts went out to them because of all their work and effort in the Lord and and I know that there are many people out here that you know many of you serve and have served and maybe were never acknowledged or thanked or you know whatever but um, just reminding all of us that one of my favorite scriptures is Hebrews 6.10. It says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown for his name when you serve the saints and you continue to serve them. And I, um, it just became very apparent the very first time we sat down with them, their love for God's church, the love for God's people, the love for God's children that we serve. And um, what an honor and privilege it is to serve in any capacity in the kingdom of God, but what a great honor it is to lead and to serve uh, and teach our kids and lay a foundation for them to get to know God. And um, really appreciate all you guys have done. We tried to bribe them, coerce them <laughs> to stay. Um, but we know that it's been, you know, <laughs> it's been a long haul. So uh, we do appreciate all the work. We did get you something that you cannot take back and that you have to use and relax and enjoy yourself. So we got you a night away in a hotel. We got you a dinner. And Angela put together a bunch of goodies in this bag for you. We love you and appreciate you very, very much, and thank you for all your service.
about the rest of you. I'm never going to forget Paul uh, parading around on stage here as one of the uh, minions from Despicable Me. <laughs> the degree of creativity he has is just really something else. Right now, though, I'd like for us to uh, transition, if you would, with me to uh, getting our hearts and our minds right uh, before God as we get ready to uh, take up our contribution. And I want to read a passage out of 1 Chronicles 16, which is basically a period of time with David and the Israelites have come off all kinds of wars, losses, victories, just a very, very unsettling time on many, many, many fronts. But in 1 Chronicles 16, we see this incredible overview of a time of rejoicing as David finally has stepped into his role as king. There's peace within the kingdom. There's an incredible degree of unity. And with that, we see it being expressed here in this passage. In 1 Chronicles 16, verse 8, it reads, Give thanks to the Lord... Call on his name, made known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all the wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength, seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments pronounced. And just looking at the, this time of unity and victory for God's people then, I think for me personally, it gives me incredible insight as to what God has given me through Christ. And that there's no way it can ever be repaid. It's a debt that I can't even begin to understand in light of what Jesus has done for me personally. But it helps me well up in the areas of giving to others, giving back to God, giving to his church, giving to the poor. And just really being grateful for the unity we have in God's kingdom. And the fact that we have this relationship with God through Christ that we can rejoice about. So if you would, please bow your heads with me in prayer as we go before God. Father, we want to thank you for what an incredible God you are. Uh, even with the sobering news that we've heard this morning, it's awesome to know that you are in control, that Maher is with you in heaven as we speak. And that with that, God, we know that you'll be able to provide the comfort that, that is going to be needed for the churches there in the Middle East, the family members that were involved, but that, God, you can provide that. And, Father, I pray as we sit here this morning, we can be grateful for the way that you've worked in our lives, the way that you've ushered us into the kingdom, the way that you provide for our needs, i.e., what we just saw with Paul and Charlene and our children, uh, what we have when it comes to the help in our marriages, our singles ministries, our campus ministries, so many different ways that you provide for us in a world that wants to do anything other than provide but to take. And Father, as we come before you this morning, please allow us on a heart level to give to you Allow us to be freely and sacrificially giving with what you've blessed us with. Father, I pray that you will use it to glorify your kingdom in each and every way. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.
Lord, we sing your praises loud. Sing them to the stumbling crowd. Sing of Jesus and his word. Sing until the earth has Why we live and sing with a servant, he the king, all his power, all his life, living in the church's all sing out. Life is but a passing glance. Seek him while you have the chance. We are made of not but clay till we change on that great day. That was uh, that was a movie. That was a movie. I uh, be before I preach, I'm going to make an announcement um, from the coastal elders, and you may say, why? You're not a coastal elder. Um, but uh, in representing the coastal elders, I w was part of crafting a piece of this announcement, and it helps for expediency, and I think it has, has a very exciting aspect to it, but please pay close attention. The coastal region of almost 1,100 members covers a large area with many ministries and needs. For some time, it has not had the full functionality that the ministries deserve. The elders believe that it would be difficult to enter the new year in best form and to develop longer plans without an affirmed lead couple. Steve and Jackie Marici have stepped up and temporarily filled this function and extre served extremely well in this capacity for the last few months. This naturally raises the possibility about making their role formal and we have prayed about this prospect. Before we go on, we want to recognize or help uh, fully express that the West Side is in an interim period about the region's leadership position, regardless of our direction because of the process involving Steve and Trisha Staten. 
And to this end, the west side will have an opportunity to consider alignment in a few months. We have learned that both the leadership groups of the, both the Latin ministries and the Long Beach and South Bay sectors do desire to have the Marichis in this role. We decided not to interrupt the flow of the Staten's process for the west side decision, allowing for a functioning leadership group to emerge early in the year. As the new west side leadership group is clarified, your needs and longer aspirations can more suitably be represented. Back to the decision about the coastal. We are announcing that Stephen Jackie Marici will be the lead couple of the coastal region, and that we hope that, this, that you will sense their virtues and leadership here in the west side during the next few months. Even as they return to South Bay, they will continue to assist the Statens with the west side along with the Shumps. And in the coming months, the Maurici's would like to continue to build equity in their relationship with this ministry and this family here, as do the coastal elders. That's the announcement. Amen. I have enjoyed uh, getting to know Stephen Jackie at a much more uh, personal level over the past few months, and uh, they are absorbers. Uh, and they just really, they want to learn, they want to grow. If I just mention a book, they're just writing it down, getting the, you know, downloading it to their Kindles or whatever, but that, they're just a delight to work with, so I just want to make sure you know that. You know, um, the lesson that we're going to be doing today is called Aaron, A Case Study and Transformation. And it was born out of a period in my life uh, that I went through a unpleasant experience that we're going to see that Aaron went through. And I'm hoping that you'll find meaning in this material here. Um, so please open your Bibles, first of all, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word transformation is only used two times in the New Testament, and it comes from the Greek word metamorphosis. And if you Google metamorphosis, what you're going to get is a butterfly. And the butterfly that's most known about is the monarch. And the monarch butterfly is, uh, primarily begins in Northern America and Canada, and will, uh, you know, once a little drop on a milkweed plant forms, It'll, three days later, it'll become a tiny little caterpillar. Seven to maybe 12 or 13 days later, it becomes a butterfly. It goes on a three-week journey to try to get as far south as Mexico. It may take three generations to get all the way back up. But what's interesting is this monarch butterfly will often go back to the tree of his parents or grandparents. Now, I don't know how they do that DNA testing to figure out which family line these little monarch butterflies are from. But I've read it a few times, so I'm going to believe them for a moment. It's a God thing. So let's talk about the butterfly for just a moment. And that it has a future embedded in it by what 
is called imaginal cells. And so it goes from, you know, caterpillar to goo. And the way that it goes to goo is at one point the caterpillar spits out this chemical around his body and in a few minutes it starts to go into the crystallis phase. And then the enzymes, by the way, this thing has been eaten more than a, its own weight every day since it's been born. Now it has all these enzymes inside of it and the enzymes are in a war with the imaginal cells. The imaginal cells are its imprinting of a future design. So while these enzymes are eating itself up and attacking the imaginal cells, it is no longer resembles the caterpillar in any way, shape, or form anymore, and it has become goo. At some point, if the operation is successful, these tiny imaginal cells win the battle and redesign the caterpillar into something completely functionally different into a butterfly. And it becomes an illustration for us that God has provided and even tells us that we can share in this experience of metamorphosis. And so we're going to look at Aaron through his early identity, which was good. It ended not so good, his early identity. Then he went through a goo period. <laughs> and then he had a greater identity. So, uh, you know... In Exodus 4, if you could just turn with me, we're going to skim through some passages just to make the point. Make sure you know I'm not inventing this out of nowhere. But uh, Exodus chapter 4, we find in verse 14 uh, that the Lord says to Moses, who doesn't want to be a speaker, he says, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well, so he now is going to become press secretary for the kingdom of God. Okay. And he spoke to Pharaoh, and it says in chapter 6, verse 26, we find out some more things. It was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. This is not the only place that both Moses and Aaron get credit for leading the people out of Egypt. And then in chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron to be your prophet. I mean, this is... Aaron's on a good start here. But he eventually, you know, he gets into his goo period. And, you know, the thing about Aaron is he's known for one thing. When I've asked crowds, I say, what's Aaron known for? The golden calf incidents. Okay. You know, we're going to come back to that later because that's not how Aaron is viewed in the Old Testament. He's, that's an incident that gets buried by a brand new creature later. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. This is, he's headed into the goo period right now. Verse 1 of chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was longing coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off your golden earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings, brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And, and when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down 
to eat and drink, and he got caught up, got up to indulge in revelry. Now, Moses was with the Lord on the mountain. The next couple of verses, he finds out about it. And the Lord and Moses are really incensed. So Moses comes down to verse 21. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Ah, oh, do not be angry, my Lord. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make gods who will go before us as to this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came a calf. Okay, man, we have a real problem here. But unfortunately, it just doesn't end there. The Lord is really displeased. This would be a jeopardy if it wasn't dealt with because incorporating, incorporating paganism into the worship of Yahweh, Jehovah God, would be horrible. The Lord has to do something to purge this moment to put a stop sign on it. In verse 35, the Lord struck the people with the plague because of what they did and with the calf that Aaron made. Serious stuff. He goes into a dark time. Matter of fact, he had a near miss himself. Moses later reflected, and the Lord was angry with Aaron enough to destroy him. But at that time, I prayed for Aaron too. So this was bad. You know, it was a near miss moment. And I don't know if you've ever had a near miss moment where you almost quit at some level. Quit God, quit the church, quit a relationship, quit trying to fight sin and just give in. And uh, there's moments of testing that come to us, but then we enter a dark period. You know, there's no transformation without the goo period. I have seen so many people stay stagnated and immature for a long period because they don't want to suffer. They avoid suffering. They find workarounds, cheats. They hack God's plan so they don't have to suffer. And then they stay simpletons all their Christian life. And they're not deep and you can't rely on them. You can't say, hey, go help us with this problem. Because they're going, rah, rah, Jesus is great. Amen, love the church. Okay, they're just, they're just in the religion. They've missed the spirit. We need the suffering that we get so many times. I know I do. My experience with the dark period, my goo period, one of them, is uh, about 2009. I was 50 years old. I wrote a 12-page bio of what I thought my life meant up to that point. I was in a really happy spot. I had been leading uh, service teams for the ICOC, this teacher service team, for two years. I was the point man for all the service teams. And I was finishing up this document as I just turned 50 and uh, was reflecting. And on this weekend, as I was taking one last look at this document, um, a friend of mine got involved in a tragedy, a uh, family tragedy, and it involved another disciple. And the way that it was handled didn't please the first person. He was very upset, asked me to kind of come in. You know, I was kind of like the mediator guy, you know, so I came in. He didn't like how I was handling it, so then it turned on me. And then people that didn't have experience with mediation and conflict had to handle all of us, and it was mishandled, and I went into a bad place. Now, the story ends good. We, we resolved it, you know, this sort of thing. But 
it put me into a place where I had goo. Okay, you know what goo is spiritually? Sad, feeling sorry for yourself, angry, ticked off, emotional, you know, being able to see all the problems with other people. Okay. But there was, you know, a place in time where I came out of the goo period. And, you know, even irreligious people or non-spiritually oriented people go through dark times and even experience transformation. There was a, uh, a military leader in World War I who, did, who caused such a horrific sequence of events leading to the loss of 190,000 lives, Winston Churchill, that went into a real dark period. Felt like he was misunderstood. And he, he was a political figure for the next 14 years, did a terrible job in politics. He was involved in the stock market crash in 1927. And he was part of the problem in the UK at the time. He was just messing up. He had one job after another, he was messing up. That was his goo period. 1932, he'd pretty much given up politics, started writing. And uh, one day, he writes a whole chapter on Moses. And he writes this story about Moses in the way that you and I would write it, about it being a true story and it really happened and it was a great deliverance story. The same year that he wrote that story, he was in a hotel with Adolf Hitler. And uh, he, he met Hitler's barber and he said to the barber, he says, bring the Fuhrer down to meet me. I'd like to have a talk with him. And the barber went up and, and he came back down and he said to Churchill, he said, what do you want to talk to him about? He says, I want to talk to him about anti-Semitism. So he goes on back up, and, and this is in Berlin, and he comes back down, and he says, he's too busy for you. It was about 1932 that Churchill started raising awareness in Europe and America that we have a beast in Germany. And this was beginning to be his transition and to be transformed to be a great military leader, waking up the world. And his, his depression period was over. So even if the world can have transformation, we in the church ought to be able to we ought to be able to lick this one, you know? This, this ought to be us. His goo period, there was, he never was able to go up to the mountain with, uh, with Moses again. He had, back in chapter 24, never went up again, except in reality. His four sons were given kind of a, probably a dirty slash noble job. The purification rites, probably a good time for him to really sort out his contribution to Israel. How unspiritual they had become, how much he was part of a fiasco. But it had a noble aspect to it as well. And this is his goo period. And in this goo period also in Leviticus 10, we find out a couple of his children died for mishandling a responsibility that they did. He accepted this. And then he and Miriam, Moses' uh, sister, and Moses and Aaron's sister, um, Miriam, they, Aaron and Miriam were involved in gossiping and you know, back-talking about Moses. And the Lord was so displeased. Because there was so much on Moses' shoulders. All he needed to do, needed, is to have his siblings talking about who he was married to. And so then Aaron confessed his sin. He saw it as sin. So he was evolving. He was transforming. He was changing during this period. You know, this process of change is not something you can just say, Hey, God, tomorrow make me confidence when I wake up. Okay. Lord, I never want to struggle with addiction to drugs again. Starting right now. Okay. You know, God will answer the prayer, 
but he has a way in which to accomplish it. He wants to forge in us something that's not in us right now. And we have to participate. If he does it for us, it's like cheating. How can we help others if we don't know how to go through that process? And the people that have suffered and dealt with their stuff and handled grief and come out on the other side are the people that ought to be leading in the churches. Because they're the ones that help everybody else mature. Okay, now, on to Aaron's greater destiny. In, uh, in Numbers chapter 6, he's told what his assignment will be. He's going to be a blessing to Israel now. So he's basically com coming out into his new self. In Numbers chapter 8, verse 19, he's told that no more plagues are going to happen because of him. Now, he was a plague starter. The thing that he was bad at, he was in charge of making sure it would never happen again. That's like those companies that hire people that write viruses, and after they come out of prison, they say, could you work for us? Or the people that break security. Or those thieves. You know, God had the right guy here. He knew how it happened, his slippage, and the consequences that would end in a plague. And he's saying, from now on, you're in charge of making sure that doesn't happen again. I have a friend uh, that I discipled for a number of years. He was on staff with us in the two years we were in Indianapolis. And, and he ended up being involved in so much sexual addiction. He ended up leading the church at one point, And we just had to pull him back. And we didn't know when to do church discipline. We got a lot of people involved. And we tried everything. And... Uh, I don't even remember all that we tried, you know, the, you know, rebukes, and it was just terrible. And there was a place in time where he was no longer under my sphere of influence, and I just never knew what was going to happen to him. Then one day, he just woke up. And he's now one of the major spiritual sexual integrity ministry leaders in our entire fellowship of churches. If I said his name right now, most of you would know who he was. And I'm proud of him. But he couldn't will it. I couldn't will it. Others couldn't. Sometimes you just got to, the Lord's just got to sit on you. He's got to squeeze you. He's got to make sure you're all gooed up. Brothers and sisters, let's not fight the goo. One of the reasons we fight this phase is we want to look like we've always got our act together. That's me, you know. And there's a lot of pressure, especially when you're in full-time ministry, people always come to you, hey, you have all the answers, right? Oh, no. And some of the ones I got, I got the hard way, okay? And so, anyway, just one of the last story we're going to look at here is in Numbers chapter 16. And we're going to see him live out what we, we're talking about here. We're going to show his transformation, the moment where it's really, really clear. You just can't. Miss it. Numbers chapter 16, verse 1. Korah, son of Iskar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, they all, verse 2, they arose up against Moses, and with them were 250 Israelite men. Well-known community leaders had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why do you set yourselves up above the Lord's assembly? So Moses sets up some sort of contest, but he has a discussion with Korah. 
And if, you, if we had time here, if you parse this passage out really well, the issue that they had is they wanted Aaron's job. And so Moses saw this, and he let this be Aaron versus them. And so, anyway, it didn't turn out so good. And the Lord intervened, and the, there was a big hole in the ground, and it was an Indiana Jones kind of moment, and they're all swallowed up. Verse 46, Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put incense on it, along with the fire from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord that the, the, the plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran in the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Okay, now almost 15,000 people had died, but the plague stopped. He had transformed from plague starter to plague stopper. And the imaginal cells were there in numbers in Leviticus of this is what you're going to be doing. You may not feel it right now, but this is what you're going to be doing. You know, brothers and sisters, we have imaginal cells in us, and you know what they are? They're the scriptures that we've read. They're the whispers. They're the, the, the mentoring, the vision that people have given us. The things that God has put in us through life experience, through parenting. The calling that we have felt. The mistakes that we have made that we have leveraged for a better outcome. All those things. Our narrative contains our imaginal selves for a better outcome. And our story can be just like Aaron's. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 5. He, the high priest, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes on this honor of, by himself, for he receives it when he's called by God, just as Aaron was. He was a huge sinner that led people into sin. He was now the person to lead people out of sin. He was the plague starter. He's the plague stopper. And God used his failures as his calling. And I hope that the, the material here, as you're thinking about this passage, will give you a sense to take your idiotic moments, your failures, your sins, and leverage them and ask God to use them so you don't have to you know, live in shame. And, and that's what I try to do. Because I can either dog myself or say, well, hey, you know, I'm going to chalk that one up and I'm going to make some sense out of it. And I put on there the passage there, Romans chapter 12. Uh, let's see, make sure. It's, okay, I, I did say this already. Aaron's calling was linked to the errors and his transformation. So think about that as it might pertain to you. And then look, I do a comparison on the caterpillar and the butterfly. It started with crawling, it ended up flying. It was practically mindless, it became a survival thinker. It was a glutton consumer, and that became a sipper. It lived to spin its tomb. It can now fly home without a GPS. It can't reproduce, and it becomes reproductive. Wow. Think about Aaron. Early Aaron, not differentiated. That means he couldn't filter. He just became a sponge and absorbed people. He stood down opposition. He was a weak leader. He became a confident leader. He was dishonest. He faced reality. He made excuses. He accepted responsibility. He caused tragedy. He stopped tragedies. You know, there isn't anything that we can't become if we'll let God 
transform us through the goo period. And I hope that you will. That's my plan. Let's pray. God and Father, as we're about ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the priest that was in place before Jesus, one of the greatest high priests in the Old Testament was Aaron. And Father, we are, I know I am moved, but we are moved by the way that somebody could change and be part of handling the sins of others because they themselves have sinned. But Father, now we are talking about Jesus who didn't sin and who is able to handle our sins with great more, much greater authority and without any question that he is the expert to help us with our sin. Father, thank you for what you accomplished in Jesus, but thank you that you also accomplished things in other sinners like Aaron and us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.